tuned into yet another effing weird episode. Grab some snacks, go to the bathroom. Well, it may be a little bit too late to go to the bathroom because you're already tuned in. And we get ready for some giant facts. All right. So one of your hosts, that's me. I'm Alex. I'm Ro. And I'm Tristan. And I'm Leo. And for this episode, we're going to dive into a couple different areas of the subject or the theme being giants. So for me, I covered bugs. I know, Leo, you covered birds. Uh, Tristan, you covered sea creatures. And then, Ro, you covered land animals. Um, how we're going to start, I'll just start us off with uh, some insects. All right. So kind of how I wanted to do my research or go about doing the uh, the insects for being giants um, was two different two different things. One being way back in the day, like millions of years ago, how big were bugs actually? Because that was something that actually really intrigued me was how big did they actually get and why was why was the actual reason for that? And then today, like what are some giant bugs today? So getting right into it. So insects reached their biggest size about 300 million years ago. This was the reign of the predatory griffin flies and giant dragonfly insects with wingspans up to 28 inches. Uh, the leading theory contributes to their large size being high oxygen in the atmosphere around 30 to 35% to today's comparison, which is 21%, which allowed giant insects to get enough oxygen through their tiny breathing hole tubes that are on their body. Uh, these are called spiracles, spiracles. Yeah. <laughs> and these spiracles, uh, connect directly to their tissue, which need oxygen. So reading about that and everything like that, that totally made sense as to why the, the insects back in the day were so big because that rich oxygen levels were getting directly to their tissue, which were making them so big. But reading more about it and everything like that, one of the biggest demises to the the insects. Now they had about 150 million years of being like big, I guess. I mean, granted, I think what it was, was there was no insect as far as like when it, when I said the uh, dragonfly insect or the griffin flies, um, they weren't, cause in my mind it was like, they were like 10 feet tall and everything like that. Cause I guess in cartoons as a kid, that's how they depict them. So I was always freaked out, but they actually never got to be that big. Um, they were still pretty large. Uh, I think it, it ranges anywhere from, what was it like 12 to 36 inches somewhere in that range, uh, was the typical dragonfly slash griffin flies. Now, if I'm wrong on that, Please, if you're listening, just, you know, leave a comment and tell me what was actually right. Uh, but that's what I found out. Um, but the biggest reason why they stopped being so big was because, the ox obviously, the oxygen levels started to get less. And then birds started to appear. Now, the earliest bird was um, known as the, oh, this is a big one. I'm going to I'm gonna <laughs> screw this up. It's the Archeo... Petrix, Pet Petrix, geez, I can't. Something like that. A R C H A E O P T E R Y X, which appeared about 150 million years ago. So again, these these insects, they were, they had about 150 year, 150 million years where they were nothing was really touching them or nothing was, 
you know, they were able to do their thing. And when the birds started to appear, birds started to compete with these insects and became their predator. So, so therefore, the evolutionary, um, these insects had to become smaller so they could evade um, the birds and everything like that. So, and then again, oxygen levels were depleting and everything like that, which I mean, to me, it, it's really interesting because today's standard is that we have a 21% oxygen rich environment. And then 300 million years ago, it was 30 to 35. So it took 300 million years for it to just drop 10%. So I don't want to say the oxygen levels, at least in my eyes, were the big contributor. To me, it was the birds that came around and started competing with these insects were the reason why they had to change and everything like that. And again, I'm sure, who is it? It's uh, Leo. I don't know if you did any sort of research into this um, as far as like birds eating insects. And that's like, I mean, as far as your research, did you look that far back or no? I didn't look into the history per se, but I did find some of the the big birds from back in the day. And one of the biggest ones was like humongous. So I could definitely believe that it it was out there snatching up the bugs because I know one of them did have like a diet of like worms and stuff like that. But we'll we'll get into that. Okay. All right. So, I mean, again, yeah. So it was it was the birds and oxygen. To me, again, I think it was mostly just the birds that were the ones picking off all these insects. Now that's kind of where the research kind of stopped for me as far as like, okay, how big did they actually get? Cause I was, I was satisfied with that. So what I want to get into next is today's standard for large bugs. Now, again, this is strictly insects. So it's not, I'm not going to have any like spiders. Um, that's really all I can think of that isn't an insect <laughs> or like frogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what else would be considered an insect, but it's not. Um, uh, well, you, you, I'm, we'll, we'll get into it. Everything that I'm going to say is a quote unquote insect. All right. Um, uh, but starting off the list, there's, there's seven of them that I wanted to cover. Um, there was a lot of beetles that I had found that were, you know, pretty, big, I guess, for today's standard for insects, but I didn't want to do a laundry list of beetles, so I tried to kind of diverse and everything like that. I did add a couple of them. I'm not going to get into too, mi- too much detail of each beetle. Um, I do have some some facts about every single one, but there's one specific insect, and it's going to be the one right after the uh, the first one I'm going to talk about that I really want to kind of dive into because I think it is it is an insane insect, but... Uh, the Hercules beetle, I'm sure if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure you've seen it in pictures or in videos before. It is a beetle that has almost like a rhinoceros horn on the front of it. Uh, the adult body size can vary from 50 to 85 millimeters or two to three inches in length and then 29 to 42 millimeters in width. Now the females, they don't have the horns on on the front of their body, and the males do for obvious reasons. Where I think most things in nature, whether it be animals or, or bugs, I, I feel like uh, they don't have the more like I'm not, I don't want to say attractive, but they have the more I guess like weird because like if you I guess the cardinal, the cardinal bird, like the typical cardinal that we think of 
that is the male version, whereas the female, it doesn't look like the male one. Now, same thing with like this, these bugs or whatever. Most of them, like the males, they have certain attributes or they, they're the ones that everyone knows because of certain things. So like, for instance, the males have the horns on them to attract the females. And they also use the, the horn to, to fight other males for like dominance and everything like that. So Hercules beetle, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, very typical, uh, but this next bug I thought was insane. Now it's called the tarantula hawk. All right, <laughs> it it doesn't look because when I first like saw the name, I'm like this thing has to look like a spider with wings, but it doesn't. So the name tarantula hawk. So first off, it's a wasp, right? Um, and its main prey is a tarantula. So before we get into like why that is, the common species are up to five centimeters or two inches long, making them the largest wasp. And they have a blue underbelly and a rust-colored wings. So if you ever see a wasp that has a blue underbelly, it's this uh, tarantula hawk. Now, the female tarantula hawk is... <laughs> this is what I, this, I... I love this. So what happens is when the... Uh, when it's time to like, you know, uh, reproduce and everything like that, the female tarantula hawk, hawk wasp uh, stings and like will find a tarantula hole, right? It'll it'll attract the tarantula out, sting it uh, between the legs, paralyzing it. Uh, then it drags the tarantula into a pre-made uh, hole that it's already, you know, dug like some ways away. So it'll like it'll fly or drag this thing to this hole where it'll drag it in where it'll lay a single egg on the spider's abdomen. And after it does that, it'll it'll crawl back out and then it will cover up the entrance so nothing can like disturb it. And the way that, um, now this is neither here nor there, but if the egg gets fertilized, it will turn into a, another female tarantula hawk. But if it doesn't get fertilized, it'll just turn into a male uh, tarantula hawk. But nevertheless, once the egg actually hatches and the larva comes out, it creates a small hole in the spider's abdomen. Uh, it'll burrow itself into that spider and then it starts feeding on the inside of the spider, making sure it doesn't get any of the vital organs to keep that spider alive for as long as possible. And it'll do this for several weeks where it'll stay inside the spider eating and feeding and then the larva pupates, which, you know, it'll, you know, become another phase of it, finally leaving the wasps as an adult merging from the spider's abdomen to create the life cycle and continue it. So this thing is almost like from when I, when I, when I pictured this in my head, and I didn't watch any videos of it, but it reminded me of the scene from the movie Aliens, where, like, there was that thing inside, the, the chest burster and everything. Yeah. <laughs> And, and like it was just like that is what this insect does is just it was amazing and everything like that i thought it was really cool now i told my wife this and she was disgusted she couldn't listen to the entire thing so <laughs> you guys are the first one i'm telling about this and it i thought that was really cool and so yeah it also has a um a stinger on the obviously to you know kill not kill but paralyze the tarantula hawk but if a human, uh, what is it? It's called the the Sh is the Schmidt Sting Pain Index. Um, it's yeah, I forgot who uh, some guy named Schmidt who made the pain index, but 
Um, the he described it as a blinding, fierce, shockingly electric pain, and its immediate, um, it's excruciating, unrelenting pain that simply shuts down one's ability to do anything except for scream. Uh, mental discipline simply does not work with these in these sort of situations. Uh, it's rated one of, as one of the top stings um, when it comes to like the pain index and everything like that. So this this tarantula hawk is is no joke. Now, granted, it doesn't in it doesn't go after humans, but if threatened, it will sting. So we're fine and everything like that. But it's gonna hurt a lot if you get stung. But that whole part where it actually burrows into a tarantula, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so where is this found, Alex, so that I know where not to go? <laughs> wondering when you're getting I, that. Oh, where, where was it? Um, I think it was the United States, and it's me- I think it's Mexico's oh. national it's Arizona, insect. it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. So it's, um, you don't have anything to worry about. You're, you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, like I don't have my own set of animals to deal with it. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but continuing, we're, we'll we'll move on and everything like that. Tarantula hawk, probably one of my favorite insects, just because of that. But moving on, um, our giant water bugs. Now there are about 170 different species of water bugs, but specifically why these uh, insects are considered giant is because they can get up to uh, 12 centimeters or 4.5 inches. And the way that they can become so big is that if, if left un, you know, not unthreatened, but if undisturbed and everything like that, what they do is they sit in the water and they wait for smaller organisms to come by, but eventually they can get up to where they can kill fish, snakes, and even turtles. Uh, again, they're only 4.5 inches, but their, their pincher or what they inject into whatever they strike at paralyzes and then kills them and then they can feed on it uh the the good thing is though is that they don't uh like humans so they'll play dead um and when humans leave or a a larger like thing leaves they'll come back to life apparently and then kind of go away so again we don't really have anything to be worried about these uh there are again 150 different species found in fresh water um so keep your eyes out for those ones uh, Goliath beetle is a, another beetle, um, and this one necessarily doesn't look big, but is measured if measured in terms of size, bulk, and weight. It is one of the um, largest beetles. So the beetle's measurements are anywhere from 60 to 100 millimeters for males, and then 50 to 80 millimeters for females as adults. Uh, and what makes the Goliath beetle kind of interesting or like fall in this category is when they are at their larval stage. They are about 80 to 100 grams. And then when they trans uh, transition into adult, they're only about half that weight. So it's they're kind of an interesting beetle, um, but they do make that one of like the giant list, I guess you would say, or an interesting part. So I wanted to include that one. Uh, continuing on, we have the uh, Queen Alexandria Birdwing. Uh, this one is a butterfly, so not so threatening and everything like that. Uh, but the wingspan can get up to 25 centimeters to 28 centimeters, 9.8 inches or 11 inches. These uh, birdwing, the Queen Alexandria birdwing, uh, is found in the uh, rainforests of the pr- province of eastern 
Papua New Guinea. So it, they're pretty cool. They're pretty uh, butterflies and everything like that. Um, again, it's it's almost like what I was talking about. The male versions are the ones that everyone kind of knows about because of their colors to attract the female uh, butterflies. So uh, moving on to is we got the Atlas Moth. Uh, Ro, you probably know about this one because this one is found in um, in the in Asia. So I don't know if it's called something different there. I I thought I had read something. It's it's called something different. Um, but it was first mentioned in, or was first described in uh, Carl. Oh, I can't. Lin L I N N E. Correction L I N N A E U S. His novel in 1758. So that's when it was first. I'm gonna say discovered. Um, maybe not discovered, but like actually, you know. Uh, written down the Alice moth is one of the largest moths with a wingspan measuring up to 24 centimeters or 9.4 inches and then last uh i'm not going to go too much into this one uh but it was the giant stick bugs now there's there's a lot there's a lot of different kind of stick bugs but generally they can get up to 13 inches i know i threw a lot of information in your guys's face right there and everything but that is where my research lied as far as um, the giants and giant insects. So, again, kind of we kind of saw where they are, you know, first started out 300 million years ago to where they are now. Definitely not as big and everything like that. They're only, you know, less than a foot and everything like that. But again, they are still pretty intense with that tarantula hawk. It can their pain index and everything like that is pretty intense. So. That is where that that's all the research that I have. That's all the stuff I have. Do you guys have any questions? So the um, tarantula hawk, that's your favorite one out of all those then? I would say that is my favorite in the out of like with the research that I did, I'm sure there's other really weird insects out there. There has to be. But with the ones that I had found and everything like that, I just thought that was so so interesting and so cool and everything like that as far as like also being like one of the largest wasps that it actually does that because like normally like bees wasps you know they like they go into like their little like nest or whatever lay their larva and blah 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 this thing kills another like bug lays its legs on it and then the bug burrows inside of it like the scene from aliens and everything so i thought that was cool so yes tarantula hawk my favorite insect so far at least eat the tarantula but then there's what's that other tarantula that uh like um grabs birds isn't it in the rainforest Ooh, you, know, you know what i'm talking about it's just yes. kind of weird how that works out like you have a tarantula that can kill a bird but then you have basically a bug that can kill that tarantula you feel like the tarantula <laughs> should be killing the bug <laughs> well i guess me i mean yes and no i mean i think it would be a waste of food because I don't know if that larva would need to eat an entire bird. Maybe it just needs to eat a spider. It's small, man. This is how <laughs> they need to take over. I don't want the tarantula hawk to take over though, because soon if it kills a bird, then we're going to have birds that are flying around or uh, we're going to have tarantula hawks as big as birds. And then like, they're going to stab us in the chest and then they're going to lay their, Oh, ugh, no, thank you. <laughs> no, <laughs> Oh, but yeah, that's that's out. That's the research that I have. Now, Ro, you did your research on land animals. I'm really interested to hear what you have as far as giant animals. 
before we dive into that, I just wanted to talk about the current uh, giant land animal, which is um, the African elephant. And the reason why I want to speak about it first is because of uh, the rest of the prehistoric giant animals. Uh, and we can talk about it as reference because currently the largest living land animal is obviously the African elephant and it can weigh up to seven tons. So that's approximately 6,300 kilos. And they typically grow up to 35 feet from have a shoulder height of up to 13 feet. So keeping that as reference, I'm going to jump into some prehistoric land animals and mammals. Real quick, Ro, I find just elephants in general, I find really interesting creatures because I, what are, they're like the only or one of the very few animals that like will mourn um, a loss of their own and everything like yes. that. Or like, do, I, I don't know if they bury them or like, you know, whatever, but I, I don't, I don't think they do, but I just find that really interesting about elephants they are just very in general. Yeah, yeah. I find them very intelligent. So the first one on my list is uh, something called as the Spinosaurus, meaning spine lizard. And it's kind of carnivorous dinosaur that lived in what now is North Africa about 112 to 93.5 million years ago. And this specimen was first discovered from Egyptian remains in 1912. So... This was the largest carnivorous dinosaur of all time, and it was bigger than the T-Rex. So it grew up to 18 meters long, and it weighed up to 10 tons. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> and you said it was, it was first discovered in 1912? Yes, the fossil was discovered uh, in 1912 in Egypt. Okay. I, can you imagine... now? That like that would be some really trippy like thing to find like a dinosaur fossil next to the pyramid or something like that, and, and that's just what I think. I'm sure that's nothing to do. I'm sure it wasn't even in the same location. But like when you said that, that's what my brain like went to was like, all right, the pharaohs were rocking dinosaurs. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So now, oh, uh, we we know about the rat infestations that go on. We know about the black plague. But we also had massive rodents that resembled uh, gigantic capybaras. It was the size of cows with an estimated weight of one ton. So just imagine, <laughs> imagine a bunch of killer rats roaming around. They are 10 feet long with another five feet of tail. No. <laughs> when was, when was this? I love that. <laughs> I, I really do not want to name the era because I'm going to goof up. <laughs> <laughs> but let's keep it prehistoric, shall we? <laughs> awesome. That is, oh, they, that reminds me of the movie uh, Princess Bride when that giant rat, like, rodents jumps of up. unusual size. Or yeah, yeah. That, that's what I think of when you said that. But <laughs> 10 feet long. It's, so that wasn't the entire length. It, like, the body was 10 feet and then another yeah. five feet of tail. Yeah. So oh. thankfully, they might have been herbivorous, but. They had like a foot long incisors, incisors, and it was in. I am sure it was enough to scare people away. Oh yeah, I'm sure, and I I doubt that they were eating leaves. They had to have been eating small kids or something. <laughs> 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 uh, 
There's no way you get that. There's no way you get that big without eating like meat and or like you know at least a couple children, right? Yeah, a couple here and there. Diet. Next up, we have nothing to do with smiles. This is actually the best known example of a saber tooth tiger. And it was a strong predator with well-developed and long and sharp canines. And some of these, uh, some of the largest within these species could weigh up to 900 pounds. And it was native to North and South America. And this was but a, a very cute this name. Was a, this was a cat? <laughs> yes, it's a saber-toothed cat. And it was 900 pounds. Like I, I think I think my cat is like fifteen pounds, and I think he's fat. So I can't imagine a nine hundred pound. How, I guess, how big are today's cats compared? Like, like a normal like lion or tar- tiger. How much do they weigh right now? I think uh, it should be around four hundred. No. Yeah. Someone's been eating their kibble. so it it says that uh they can range from 300 to 675 pounds and that's from (laughs) whatthingsway.com that's 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 like at least an extra 300 pounds on like the biggest one yeah cat yeah because i can imagine like the 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 highest mark the 675 is probably yeah one of those like it's not too common that they weigh this (laughs) <laughs> yeah it probably is the chunk one <laughs> Chunky one. but i am sure the name was given by someone who was a cat lover like us alex because the name is smiterton come on who is going oh, to smile at it yeah right kitty kitty no that's funny <laughs> so next up we also have a pig a pig so, Yes. Um, it's called the Deoden, uh, which literally means the terrible pig. It uh, <laughs> it weighed approximately 2,000 pounds. Holy and, crap. Yeah, I mean, you could have pulled pork for the entire city, I guess. Entered <laughs> 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 it down, if being the keyword over there. And it looked more like a warthog than your, you know, classical farm pig. And this was unusually ad- well adapted to its North American habitat because this species persisted for over 10 million years. But then I'm pretty sure it was very tasty because it definitely went into extinction. Oh, yeah. Right. Because, <laughs> again, I'm looking at what you what I just had looked at, like what things weigh. And pigs generally weigh 300 to 700 pounds. So yeah, this thing weighing two thousand pounds, holy cow! These these ones are farm pigs. Farm so, pigs, okay. Yep. It sounds more like one of those hogs, like the ones that are like, yes. isn't that like a big problem in Texas? Uh, if I remember, I think there's like a whole show about it. Like they, because they're they're pest animals, because they're wild and they're really hard to kill, and they breed like crazy, and they're well, big. Well, even if we were to put, so I, I looked up hog, and hogs weigh way less than really. Okay, yeah, they weigh 120 to 140 pounds. 
So if we're oh. talking in terms of this thing it was a hog, holy cow, then that is that is insane. You said it looks more like a warthog, right? So it's like kind of more yes. the hair and like the pronounced snout type of thing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. A warthog then. Warthogs weigh 110 to 320 pounds. So that's a little bit better. Maybe it's just because like domestic pigs are kind of bred to be fatter because they're I'm, farm animals. Yeah. And yeah, yeah their, their purpose is to feed humans. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, even like I'm looking at a picture of a warthog and a warthog looks a lot slimmer and almost mm. like more, I'm not going to say athletic. It's a killing machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to keep cutting you off, bro. I'm just really interested in what you're saying. All right. Uh, so the next one, let's talk about the biggest terrestrial herbivore. And uh, from here on, on, I'm going to mess up some names. Uh, it's called the Indricotherium. Um, now, this animal is ancestral to the modern uh, rhinoceros. Now, rhinoceros currently they weigh around one ton. This one was around 20 tons. <laughs> Although with a much longer neck and, uh, and relatively long slender legs. So, imagine a rhino's face attached to the neck of a giraffe. And legs that look like elephants. How do you spell? How do you spell the name of it? Intricotherium. So that's I N D R I C O T H E R I U M. Ooh, those things right? are weird looking. <laughs> you it described looks- it perfectly, though. I will say <laughs> that. <laughs> They do look like an alien creature, though, from like another planet. They don't look. Wow. I'm looking at like a size comparison and like what you had said, like at the beginning, like of uh, South African elephant and everything like that. It's right next to it. And this thing is like twice the size of it with a really long neck. That is that is crazy. But it doesn't have that horn on the front. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Did it say why it got? Like, well, I mean, I guess for you, Ro, like, did, did you see or hear why, um, like some of these animals became like less big and everything like that? Like, was it just due to like people hunting them or like for this thing, was it just like evolutionary? It didn't need that long neck anymore. And like, because it needed to survive, it grew a horn. Actually, yes. I mean, there are two trains of thoughts over here. The primary being us humans evolving faster than the animals and we are hunting them and that's why they were extinct the second is again uh, your uh, environment and your uh, weather conditions that play a huge role also yeah. uh, some of these carnivores were probably smarter and if you see the herbivores were the first ones that usually go extinct True. You know? Yep. So, but then, yes, we also had a, a rhinoceros known as the Elasmotherium. I didn't add this to the list because we were on our uh, time schedule. So, that weighed around four tons and that was around 20 foot long. And it had a three foot long horn on the end of its snout. Oh. So, people say that you know, that is where probably the uh, unicorn myth 
might have started. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was also covered with thick shaggy fur. And obviously it was during the era of Homo sapiens. So it might have been hunted for, you know, because they needed warm coat. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yes, we did have a rhinoceros which had this like three foot horn. But this one didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So the next, we have the biggest uh, terrestrial carnivore, and it's called as the Andrew Sarchus. It was named thus because it was discovered by the famous fossil hunter Roy Chapman Andrews during an expedition to the Gobi Desert. So he found a single enormous skull, and the reconstruction of it led to, you know, it was a 13-foot-long, 2,000-pounds um, or a one-ton animal that kind of looked like a cross between a wolf and a hyena. And it used to live in what is now known as uh, Inner Mongolia or China. Oh, and uh, by the way, the skull is currently on display at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Oh, okay. So if anyone will actually want it. So if you're in New York and you're listening to this, uh, you can actually go see it. But that's that's pretty cool that they actually have it on display still. Yes. <laughs> so we've we've spoken about the biggest land animal now, which is the Af- African elephant. However, prehistoric elephant, the biggest elephant, the steppe mammoth, mm. it, weighed, it weighed about 10 tons. And it was found over most of uh, northern Eurasia. And it's, it probably evolved in Siberia. So this was almost about 600,000 years ago. It is said that it, is, it was the first stage in the evolution of the steppe and uh, tundra elephants. And it's an ancestor of the woolly mammoths of the later glacial periods. Ten tons. You said How it was, do you weigh 10 tons? You said it was the, the steppe mammoth? Yes, a step with uh, double P-E. S-T-E-P-P-E. Okay. And this one is the essentially almost like the first version of the woolly mammoth. Exactly, yes. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it right now and everything. That's, that's crazy. It is, right? It was since it was found in northern Eurasia where there were no human settlements at that point of time, which is why it was able to survive. But then I guess as humans evolved and, you know, started, um, I don't know, finding out new new places to live in and, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it probably, I don't know, adapted and became a woolly mammoth. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's just like evolutionary, like when things have to adapt and like change and everything. That's it's so interesting because again, I'm looking at I'm looking at the difference between the uh, steppe mammoth and like the African mammoth. I found another picture, and they they pretty much look the same. One just the steppe mammoth just looks kind of hairy. Yes, <laughs> almost like almost like the woolly mammoth. If again, if 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 you aren't looking at a picture of it right now, it almost looks identical to the woolly mammoth and everything. But I, I would say out of all the ones that you did research with, as far as the, uh, the land animals, which one did you find the most like intriguing and which one did you find the most kind of like fun to research about? 
Oh, I have one last one, and this is one, uh, this is the one that I like because okay. hello, cat lover. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's another uh, tiger, uh, which is called the Nandong tiger, and it was found in the village of Nandong in um, Indonesia. Uh, so, people from Indonesia, if you're or uh, if you're listening to this, if I've ruined your pronunciation, I'm sorry. So this. Tiger is, or sorry, was a predecessor of the still existing Bengal tiger. The difference is that the Nandong tiger males may have grown to a whooping one thousand pounds, <sighs> but then that it may, but it makes sense because the paleontologists have also discovered the remains of, um, I don't know how to put it, plus-sized cows. Pigs, <laughs> deer, <laughs> elephants, and rhinos from this exact portion of Indonesia. So all of which are likely to be figured into this tiger's dinner menu, right? And oh. I have absolutely no idea why are the sizes of these animals so huge in this area. <laughs> that is something that we need to figure it out. Wow, that that's that's pretty cool, though. That's, I mean, yeah. Again, I love cats too, so. I don't know if I'd want one that's that big though that could eat me again. Like I, that's that's almost like the show, like the Tiger King. I, I don't want to get off on a tangent or whatever, but like I just don't know why an, anyone would have like a tiger for a pet. Like a, a cat, okay, I can handle a cat. Yeah, it still hurts when they scratch, but holy cow! I know. So for me, uh, my favorite it's actually. I I really I really like the tiger though. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll take the risk. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, that's good, bro. That was that was really cool. That I, I didn't. Some of those I had no clue. I th- I think one of the ones that you talked about. Oh, what was it? The oh, it was the rhino. The what was it? Indri Kothium. Indri. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one looks pretty interesting. If you I would suggest looking that one up uh, and taking a look at that one if you hadn't. Um but yeah, thank you, Ro. I just want to mention uh there is another land animal that had hit the news back in 2004, 2005 in the Georgia area. Uh, it was called Hogzilla. It was what? a cross between a a hog and a pig, I believe it was. And the thing was like about 800 pounds between seven feet to eight feet in in length and at first when people started reporting seeing it they thought it was a hoax but some hunters actually managed to kill it and if you look up hogzilla he you had the image oh man <laughs> it is huge yeah like oh they have it hung God. up from a tree and you can see it standing next to a person it's like it, it was big and you know, like it's crazy because at first people were like, oh, that can't be real. But it made newspapers, it made headlines and everything reports. And once they finally found the body, that's when they discovered like it was actually a hybrid between a boar and a, and a pig. Oh I thought that was pretty, pretty gosh. wild. Everyone who's listening to this right now, stop the podcast and type in Hogzilla. That thing is insane. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> oh god, it was tw- 12 feet long. Oh my gosh. That should be that should be the uh that's effing weird podcast uh um mascot Hogzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Would you say the other white meat is back? The other white meat bites back. It looks like a horror movie based around Hogzilla, I think. Sorry, I just came up during the looking at some of the pictures of it, but that's that's a hell of a tagline. (laughs) Oh, I see it. I see it. Oh, the other white meat bites. Oh, that is awesome. I need to watch that now. It looks like a bad horror movie, and I love those. Yes, that looks like one of those sci-fi movies. <laughs> it's just, there's a bunch of ladies in like bikinis holding pistols <laughs> on the front of it. Oh, I love the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> the other white meat bites. My oh my gosh, that might have to be the thumbnail of this episode. Oh, I I don't think we can use it. Oh, but that is hilarious. <laughs> Oh, all right, Leo, you did your research on birds. Let's get after it. Oh, yes, the aerial creatures. So starting off, I got like a basic list of some of the birds that are around today, just to kind of give an idea of, you know, what we what we got now. So as far as like record holders go, there's a lot of storks and albatrosses that that are up there as far as like a wingspan goes. Uh, You got the marabou stork that's Got a wingspan of about 10 feet, 3 meters. Uh, Northern Royal Albatross, also about 10 feet. Uh, Andean Condor, another Albatross. Uh, Tristan Albatross, those are, are about 11 feet, 3 meters still. Uh, but the one that that's like the biggest is a Wandering Albatross, which is about 12 feet, uh, 12 foot wingspan, 3.6 meters. So roughly about the the size of a the height of an elephant that's that's how wide its wings are is about how long an elephant is say that one more time so the the biggest the bird with the biggest wingspan alive today is called a wandering albatross and its wingspan is about 3.7 meters or about 12 feet so think about the same same size as an elephant but in terms of a wingspan where does it why why have i never seen this before I think this would be something that I would have seen. Where where is it located? Uh, it's a bit of everywhere because uh, there's different kinds of albatrosses, but this you know because there's the wandering albatross, there's the southern royal albatross, there's Tristan <laughs> albatross. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 there's the what? I promise. <laughs> the what? <laughs> uh, the Tristan albatross. Yeah, I'm a bird. Anti- Did you not know that? Like, <laughs> I'm a bird. Day job. <laughs> Yeah, but there's a few in different areas around the world. Um, it's just that specific one holds like the record, but they're still pretty, pretty big in terms of like a, how how far out its wings go. And I'm just like, oh man, imagine seeing that flying overhead. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it wants a <Nice>. hug. <laughs> I don't no. think it wants a hug, Alex. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Of course, there's also the flightless bird, the ostrich, which is the biggest bird overall. You know, I can't, you know, we all know about that. They run pretty <laughs> fast, can't do much else, but yeah. The, the ostrich. There's, I don't know if, I don't know if this is a legit sport or not, but like ostrich racing, ostrich racing, I can't talk. <laughs> ostrich racing. Um, is that a real thing? Did you did you find anything like when you were doing research? Did you strum, stumble? Oh my gosh, I can't talk. Did you stumble across anything like that? 
I haven't, but I have seen where people talk about like how fast those things go, and I've even seen like videos of people trying to like outrun an ostrich or even in a car try to get away from one, and it's like oh, those things keep up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. But just to kind of put it into perspective, I know people might have seen like eagles, you know, that have a wingspan of five to eight feet, vultures with a wingspan of seven to nine, owls a little on the small side, about six feet, so pretty pretty standard. But think that, but like double in size, just to kind of paint that picture there. So I'm trying to find a picture of an ostrich with its with its wings open. How do you spell ostrich? S T R I C H. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's what that's what I that's what I said. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. Now yeah, because you when yeah, because when you think of an ostrich, it, it typically doesn't have its wings open and everything like that, but with, with its actual wings open, it's they're pretty they're pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Now, those are big today, but the the birds from, you know, before, who, okay. So <laughs> the one I found uh, was a, it's called a Pelagornis sandersi. It's a bird that lived about 25 million years ago. And this uh, behemoth of a flower had a wingspan of about 23 feet or 7.4 meters. So think like two and a half elephants. <sighs> Uh, and it uh, stands at the height of a giraffe, so it's it's pretty big. <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah. What did it did it did it look like an ostrich though? Uh, I think it more resembled like a, I guess you could say like a pelican, kind of sorta. Okay. Or like a pterodactyl. Uh, can you but, can you spell it? I'm I'm really interested to see how this thing looks. Yeah, it's uh, P E L A G O R N I S. And then the other part is uh, Sandersi. S A. Oh, I got it. I got it. Okay. Thanks, Google. Oh, this thing. This thing is scary. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, 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 it's beak has like teeth on it. Oh, weird. Yeah, but oddly enough, that actually was like a fisher. So like much like pelicans, it only ate like fish and stuff. So I, I think we, I think we would have been safe <laughs> if <laughs> if we lived during that time, at least from those things. You say that. <laughs> yeah, but right. why do you want to take a risk? That's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. But the interesting thing about this creature specifically is there's like a few uh, different debates as far as like how it took off because of how big it is. So people believe that it, it'll run downhill, kind of like a like a paraglider jump off a hill and, you know, just take off. Uh, other sources think it would like would lunge itself upward and forward and then start to flap like, you know, birds today. Or that it was just simply like an ostrich that had large wings and couldn't fly. So, you know, think more like a penguin with the wings like that. But I think, because I th- I'm looking at the beak, though, it had to have it had to have flown. Because, like, That's to what me- I'm thinking, too. And yeah. uh, they say that the, <laughs> crazy enough, it was, they said, they said it was able to jump eight feet into the air Ooh, to help wow. take off. So it, it could get some height. It would be great at basketball. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. But believe it or not, there's actually something even bigger than that coming in at a wingspan of about 36 feet or about 11 meters. Uh, it's, it's name is a little little hard to say. It's a, a, a Quetzalcoatl coatless Northope, uh, which if you look at photos of it, you can see it's comparable to that of a small plane with its wingspan. Okay, you got to spell it. And I got to look. I got to see it. 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 I got- so it's Q U. E T Z L A 
C-O-A. Got it. Nope, it just put, it just brought up a dragon. Never mind. <laughs> I, 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 I don't got it. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, so, I got it. Yep, I got it. Oh, ooh. This look. Ooh, okay. All right, this, this is a little different. Yeah, another big, another big one there. This, but this looks as tall as a giraffe. Yeah. Now, the crazy thing about this one is that uh, they had simulations to show how, how fast it would go. And this ancient airplane could go up to 80 miles per hour or 130 kilometers an hour. So that thing is going fast. And on top of that, it could stay up in the air for about 10 days. So what? I can, yes, I can barely stay up for eight, nine hours without having to take a nap, but 10 whole days. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. I wonder if it like, it had a way to like lock its joints or its bones into like where it would fly high enough where essentially it was just um, using like the breeze or the wind to keep it afloat. And That's then the bird the, autopilot, like a, like a, a glider. Yeah. Plane. Also, did it get mid-flight means? <laughs> How did oh that God. work? <laughs> just it flew with its mouth open, <laughs> <laughs> right? Just casting whatever. <laughs> but yeah, this uh, magnificent creature was discovered in 1971 by a man named Douglas Lawson, who was actually 22 years old at the time. He was a geology grad student at the Univer- University of Texas, so. That's definitely one way to start off your career. Oh, I was, yeah, like people go their whole careers not discovering anything. And like when that, I think that almost be a bad way to start your career. Cause imagine you're never going to find anything else after that. And to be like, all right, <laughs> right. well next week I'm going to find a new dinosaur and a new bird. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's essentially where they were set to populate is uh, big Ben, Texas, some 70 million years ago. Okay. And interesting and you enough, said 1971, right? Yes, that's the one they uh, said that's it was. That's quite discovered. recent. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, isn't it? Isn't it something like there's new species being found like every single day? Well, I mean, not just like birds, but like people are just discovering like new species of things on Earth like every single day. I find that just interesting. Oh yeah, alive and dead with you know fossils and even even maybe now. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is in, you know, Texas, apparently was lush forest back then and not desert. So I'm guessing that could explain why it was so it was able to 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 populate that area so well, because, you know, I'm sure it had like lakes and stuff to to dive and hunt into. And it's believed that they hunted like modern uh, herons where they would like sit in the river and kind of just dip their head into the water and scoop up a fish or two and then just kind of, you know, basically just be solo and eat food that way. Hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. So moving on to the cross between mystical and realistic side, talking about thunderbirds, which according to native mythology were huge birds with wings flapped so powerful it sounded like thunderclaps. And they were also believed to be omens of a pending storm. Now, even though they're classified as mythical creatures by, you know, universities and stuff like that, there's been plenty plenty of fossils to support the the possibility of such large flying creatures like that to have existed and uh, such a bird was a teratorn which was vulture-like birds that are not extinct but were common in the north and south america regions and these had a wingspan of about 12 to 18 feet or 3.6 to 5.4 meters so not as impressive but still pretty big when you think about modern day Mm -hmm. birds 
Yeah, definitely. And so I'm assuming that these creatures must have lived relatively recent during like, you know, man's time because that's that's the idea is that seeing those giant birds flying is what spawned the the uh the tales of of thunderbirds and, you know, these giant birds flying overhead and kind of like how uh Christopher Columbus saw manatees in their uh, feminine knees, as he called it, and started the conversation of mermaids. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, interestingly enough, in 1890, uh, a newspaper called Tombstone uh, Epitaph, really how you say that, uh, they ran a report indicating that two ranchers had taken down a large, mysterious winged beast, and its appearance was described as looking like an alligator body, so like scaly, a length of about 92 feet or 28 meters and a huge head of about eight feet or 2.4 meters with like thick translucent wings of 160 feet. So pretty big, uh, sharp teeth lining its wings. So kind of like the other, the Quetzalcoatl creature or like a pterodactyl. Is there a picture of it? I th- Yes, I found some. I can definitely send it off. But let me see. I'll go ahead and get that pulled up. But yeah, it was it was pretty clear and for that to be a fake i think that's a really good fake um just because like there's multiple people standing around it and it, it's kind of just laid out let me actually try to get the pictures hold on i think i i think i know what picture you're talking about if it's if it's the one that's in my head and it is it like a black and white um picture like really old uh yes but there are is actually there is actually like a few different pictures of of a giant of these giant like creatures that people supposedly killed. Okay. But uh, yeah, I found it. Okay, cool. I'm going to send it. But even in the picture, you could kind of see like it's almost translucent wings, its large beak and head. Yep, that's exactly the one that I'm thinking of. It looks like a pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, there is another sighting. Um, is a Civil War photo, which was the second one I sent in 1864 that came to light in the 1950s that showed sh- uh, soldiers standing over what appeared to be something like a pterodactyl, similar to the first creature, where they reportedly, of course, shot it down and, you know, they're standing next to it now. And if you see, they do kind of look alike. So it makes you wonder, like, if that is fake, where did they get the idea from and how do they make it? Like, what's what's the purpose behind it, you know? The only thing with, like, the Civil War picture that i'm looking at is the guy in the front with his foot propped up it just it doesn't yes. look it doesn't look right it looks like he's too far forward or it's just like when you copy and paste something like a picture over another picture it just it's something about it just doesn't look right yeah I, I see it too yeah but like everything else looks okay i guess but <laughs> yeah i don't know that's yeah but there was even more sightings, like somewhat recently in the 1940s in Illinois. I was three men who said to have encountered something on April 10th, 1948. Uh, they saw what assumed to, what they assumed to be a plane that had cast a large shadow, but soon realized it wasn't a plane. It was rather like a huge bird soaring in the sky. And it was compelling enough that a few towns, uh, a few towns over, a father and his son reported seeing something just like it. So... We got two recordings within the same time frame. It's like something definitely was out there. And what what city was this or what town? Uh, This was in Illinois. Uh, 
I didn't quite get the town, but I knew it was in Illinois. And there was another report that I'm going to talk about in a sec that also happened in Illinois. So it's like something's going on in Illinois. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the more controversial tales is that was reported in July 25th, 1977. Also, of course, in Illinois, where three boys were actually playing in their backyard when two large birds had swooped down. And although two of them got away, the third one was unfortunately scooped up and was like being taken away. So his screams had alerted his mom to come out yelling. And the bird got a good distance away before dropping the boy uh, a few feet down to the ground. So he was okay, except he had large like scratches in his back where the bird basically like picked him up. And the incident was reported to the police. Of course, it was met with ridicule, but many extras believe that the attack was you know, like a true statement was actually done by like a turkey vulture or an Indian condor, which is also pretty big birds with, you know, about 10 feet wingspan. And I know if you think of like a small child, I know people talk about birds swooping and picking up, you know, dogs and cats and stuff. So I don't think it's as far fetched to see him pick up a small child if the child is, you know, light enough. So, I mean, I was going to say like, I, uh, Turkey vulture, I don't know, because I'm seeing like like an adult male have one on his arm, and it doesn't look that big to like scoop up a kid and like start flying away. But yeah, and see that's the thing. That's what the quote unquote. That's what the experts were saying it was. But of course, we really wouldn't know, you know, because the only people that saw it was of course the three kids and. You know, the mom, no one else had reported any kind of sighting of whatever it was that picked up the kid. <laughs> you guys need to look up baby turkey vultures. <laughs> oh, my gosh. oh, my gosh. If anything looks alien, it's this thing. It looks like a cotton ball with a pterodactyl head. It looks so weird. <laughs> I don't mean to oh get off subject. Is. Okay. what? A, that's, that's a really interesting story, though. Um, I don't necessarily... I don't know if I believe that because again, uh, what did they say? What did the 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 uh, the person that actually uh, got picked up, or like the mom? Did she did she say it looked like a prehistoric animal, or did she say like what did she describe it looking like? So let me see. I don't think I found anything that specifically said what they described. I think they just kind of described like a large, like menacing looking bird creature. Calm down and, and, you know, pick them up. Mm-hmm. And I guess the way that she might have described it to the police made them, un, 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 like, think, I was like, oh, that's absurd. That, that can't be the case. Because they might have described it like, I guess, you know, like a pterodactyl, like some kind of ancient prehistoric creature came down and picked them up. And I, I think it's possible he may have been, you know, just scratched up by some birds for whatever reason. You know, maybe he was messing with something. Or and I know some birds do have, like, a real good memory, like crows and pigeons. They, they tend to remember people and will retaliate <laughs> accordingly. <laughs> so, I don't know yeah, if that's kids what it throwing is. rocks at birds. <laughs> right. Something like that. Yeah. But if it was a turkey vulture, now vultures by themselves, if they have to defend themselves, they vomit. They wouldn't what? carry off the children. Yeah. They vomit uh, stomach acids. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, the other thing, uh, the other animal that they compared her to was an Ande, uh, Andean condor which was a much larger relative of the California condor. So another pretty big bird. Okay. So maybe, maybe that one may be a little bit more believable. That thing looks a little bit bigger than uh, a 
turkey vulture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I could definitely see that getting uh, getting angry with some with some kids. Yeah, because all right, I'm gonna uh, let's see here. I'm putting this one in the chat that I just found. Like, look at the one that I'm putting. It's standing next to what I would consider to be like an adult person, and it's almost like if it were to stand all the way up, it would be about to its waistline. Yeah, and it, and if you don't know anything about you know birds and stuff like that, you you you'd probably think that that's something like really menacing or just like oh my gosh, you know it's a scary creature or whatever. But I I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't consider it a creature. I mean if that happened to my kid, I'd be like yeah, there's a big old bird picked up my kid or whatever. But I wouldn't call it like a dinosaur picked up my kid. I mean I don't know I, I don't know. Yeah. It does have a really weird face though. <laughs> it does look weird, especially with this like in flight. Yeah. There was another report that we have here. I was in Alaska where witness has reported seeing like a reptilian kind of something out of a Jurassic park as, as, as they worded it uh, with a wingspan of about 14 feet. And the debate for that is like, it was too big to be mistaken for like a seagull or other common bird of the area. And so local news or outlets even ran reports about its sighting and, you know, made that like a, a huge thing. So, huh. And that was in 2002. So pretty recent. Oh my gosh, that thing is huge. Yeah, see, yeah, like the one that Ro just posted. Holy cow, like that, um, okay, yeah, that that's going to pick up my kid. That, you know. <laughs> yeah, that thing is going to do some damage. Holy cow. Now, uh, Tristan, uh, I don't know if we can post any of these pictures in on the social media and everything like that, like we're talking about, but honestly, just... If you're listening right now, right now, right now, um, go on to Google in Anden Condor. So A-N-D-E-A-N and then Condor. Um, these things are pretty big now. So you can actually visualize what we're talking about. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy. Because that could to me, that could totally pick up a kid. Yeah. And if not pick it up at the very least, like scratch it up, because, you know, again, they said that they the kid had like actual like scratch marks on his on his back and where the bird reportedly picked it up. So I don't know if he picked them up off the ground, but I'm confident he might have actually like got him real good. So, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's what I got about birds, you know. Well, Leo, that was that was pretty interesting. I'm not gonna lie. That was that was pretty cool. Thank you. And then lastly, which one was your favorite? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. What was your favorite? I liked the biggest one, the Quetzalcoatl uh, creature. Just like how big it looks, and like I can't imagine that thing like running and jumping, and then spreading its wings and flying, or <laughs> just jumping off eight feet into the air to take off. Like, oh my goodness! Is that the one that went on autopilot that could fly for ten days? <laughs> yeah, that's the one that could fly for like ten days and eighty <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> hmm. And last but not least, we have Tristan with the sea creatures. Let's go. All right. So I, I specifically looked at a deep sea gigantism. It's a tendency for invertebrates specifically. Um, at the lower, colder depths, they tend to grow a lot bigger than their shallow water counterparts. Um, now some of the ones that I'm going to kind of talk about here, there's like the big red jellyfish, there's giant osopods, there's ostracods, there's the giant sea spider which is, that one's, that one's weird. <laughs> um, and then you got the giant, uh, the Japanese spider crab, the giant oarfish. There's deep water stingrays. There's uh, this seven-armed octopus. And then the colossal squid, which is kind of everyone's big favorite. 
Now, the first thing about deep sea gigantism that always strikes me as odd is when I think about like the deep sea, you think of the pressure, right? Mm-hmm. And you'd think, okay, all that pressure, how could something grow very big when it's being crushed like that? Um, but since these invertebrates are mostly made of water and they don't really have like skeletal systems like we do, the buoyancy means they're not fighting any sort of gravity whatsoever. They're kind of just living in this 360 suspended kind of animation thing. Uh, so the pressure doesn't do anything to their size. So it has literally no effect on how big they can grow like it would on the land. Um, you know, it's part of like an elephant. It It's so thick and like big because it needs all that extra mass to support the weight to be that big to begin with. You know, there, there has to be like a certain give and take with that. But under the water, that doesn't really play an effect at all. It has much more to do with uh, things like temperature, food scarcity, stuff like that. Uh, so one of the main reasons that they're going to grow so big is because of something called Bergman's rule. It's this rule that states very broadly that populations that live in colder environments are going to be larger than their warmer counterparts. Um, part of this seems to be that when you decrease the temperature, the cell size starts to grow over time. Um, and when you have a bigger cell size, you then have an increased lifespan, um, a delayed sexual maturity, and overall that's just going to make these things grow a lot bigger. And crustaceans, for some reason, they, they just keep growing because they constantly shed and everything. So they're just they're going to keep growing bigger and bigger and bigger, which is why like some of those crabs specifically can get just so enormous because if they live long enough, they're just not going to stop growing. I think that's really weird because like I feel like as humans, and everything like that and like other creatures this does not apply like you need to be in a warm you know environment and everything like that mm-hmm. whereas like you're saying you need to the, they're set now is this just for like what you're saying deep sea creatures that like they're just developed or they're just that way where when it's cold their cells develop like i guess bigger yeah that's part of it um it's they develop bigger when they're down there because everything's just I like to think of it as like time slowed down. Everything's bigger, but slower and colder. Mm. Because when you cool something down, everything moves slower, and then it's just going to kind of get bigger. And there's a bunch of other stuff that also go into it, but um, it it also has this effect called the island rule. So when things are isolated like they are down there, um, things tend to grow bigger. Like think of like the Galapagos Islands. For some reason, a lot of those weird animals that are isolated that, you know, Charles Darwin was uh, observing because they're just so isolated from each other. Those little ecological pockets. For some reason, they tend to grow a little bit bigger. Um, it, that happens down there as well. It, it, it has to do with the food scarcity and then that, there not being a lot actually, of predators. <clears throat> I'm sorry to cut you off that, but that was actually something that um, I read about with the insects, that some insects... Mm-hmm. Um, due to where they are location wise, it was that, what'd you call it? The, the island? Of, no, not island. Uh, what the, the island rule. Island rule. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, some of these insects would grow larger because they're secluded or they would do the total opposite and get smaller. So I think it's interesting that both that applies to, for deep sea creatures. What, what, what I also think is weird is like almost everything's backwards underwater. Uh, cause like. Part of the reason they got so big on land was because of the increased oxygen and then them being just kind of being bugs and they, they were able to just grow to this massive size because of the heat and because of the oxygen. But underwater, it's like the exact opposite. 
Um, one of the other things that they end up dealing with is the dissolved oxygen. So the oxygen is kind of more dissolved and spread out underneath. So they're bigger so they can then intake more of it and last longer between it. So like their tanks are bigger, basically. Sure, it's a little harder to get it, but like think like a, think like a whale. A whale only eats krill. So it's just constantly eating and constantly has his mouth open. It has his whole system to intake as much as humanly possible, even though it's eating one of the smallest animals around. Um, most animals down there live like that when it comes to oxygen. They intake these giant gulps of breath and basically can like, well, they don't breathe like we do, but they take in the oxygen and <laughs> kind of hold it in for a longer time. Um, but apparently that also um, increases the risk of toxicity of uh, oxygen poisoning, where since they can take it in so much, if they end up actually going too high up and take in too much oxygen, they can get poisoned a lot easier than normal animals oh. would. Yeah, I remember like, I think it's the people that, um, it's, I think it's Machu Picchu down there, like in South America, that big, and it's like on is that the one I'm thinking of? The one that's on the top of the Andes Mountains? And yes. it's like super high up. That's the one I'm talking yes. about? Yes. I remember there was like a, a study on the people that lived there, like the natives, and they just had this lung capacity that was way different than normal people. Um, just because there's so much less oxygen up there, they had to basically evolve these bigger lungs in order to take in more air just to survive normally. And it, it's kind of a similar thing. But weren't they smaller though? Like just like 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 stature-wise, weren't they smaller? I think in general, um, people in South America are, yes, but their lung capacity was bigger, which was the important part. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I remember, I do, I do remember hearing that somewhere. Now there's another rule that they follow called a Kleber's rule. Um, basically what that means is the larger an animal gets, the better its metabolism is. So like your met metabolic rate roughly scales to about three fourths power of its mass, so the bigger the animal is, the more efficient its metabolic system is going to be. So it can eat more and then save that more and then use that more. Um, it's kind of like the oxygen. So basically when they find food, they're going to eat a ton of it uh, to the point where like sometimes they won't even move. Like they'll be to the point where they're about to explode. Um, and then they'll just kind of live in this animation and then just kind of drift suspended animation and kind of just drift through the ocean and there's some point some of them can live up to five years like without food like uh, i think when they caught one of the squids like it it, it survived for five years no eating no nothing just because they're kind of designed to live off these stores because they're only going to eat once every little while because there's not a lot of food so when they do eat they eat a ton and then they just basically stop and since there's not a lot of predators down there either they don't really have to worry about anything happening when they stop eating they basically find food stop they don't Nothing's going to come eat them because um, everything's kind of giant. And then they eventually have to start moving again once they kind of burn off all their resources, uh, which is part of why they can live so long as well. That almost reminds me of like what uh, I think it's anacondas, what they do. Like they'll just mm -hmm. eat like an entire cow yeah. and then like they, they just sit there until it's fully digested. Yeah, I think uh, what is it? Um, not monitor lizards. Uh, the Komodo dragon does that. Like he'll like lick something, mm -hmm. it'll poison it, then he'll just stalk it for like four days while it slowly dies. <laughs> You're gonna be so delicious four days. Oh yeah, from I now. saw a documentary on that. It was messed up. Like the thing, it, it bites it, poisons <laughs> in it, and you just see this thing, this poor. I think it's a buffalo or something, just slowly dying. Um, and then they're all just around him. There's like five or six of them just kind of staring this thing down, just waiting. <laughs> and it takes days oh too. Gosh. It's so bad. And then, yeah, then they eat them in so, one big see, gulp and then they just are like nice and full and bulbous for like a month. <laughs> um, but, but 
another advantage of it being so cold uh, in their size, they're going to lose less heat because the more surface area you have, remember, it's going to be easier to disperse your heat. So you're not going to have to, they're not going to actually feel the cold as much. Um, I think if you ever like cut grooves into like metal to, to be a heat dispenser, if you ever seen anything that does that, where they have these like arbitrary like cuts in it, it's also that you can increase the surface area of whatever piece you're using. So that way when it gets hot, it disperses better. Um, the same thing works with giant animals. They can just deal with the cold and the heat a lot better because of that. Okay. Now, moving on to some of the fun animals that we have down there. Um, my f- the first one I really like is the big red jellyfish. Um, so it, it doesn't look like a normal jellyfish. It, it, it has these, like, I think they're called medusas, what they're called, but they, they look more like arms on an octopus. They don't look like that kind of flowy thing that you'd normally think of, um, so it was discovered by this guy named George uh, Mats- Matsumoto was his name, and uh, the genus that they they put it, they created a whole new genus called um, Tiburania, which is based off the Spanish uh, uh, Tiburon for shark. Um, I think it's because it's in a fairly shark infested water. It's in the Pacific Ocean, kind of Gulf of California, Monterey Bay, that kind of area. So they can grow to about thirty inches in diameter. Um, and they have uh, four to seven of those, they call them thick, fleshy arms, is the way it was worded. Um, originally, though, what I love about them is it was called the Big Ugly because of how it looked. <laughs> the Big Ugly. Yeah. Okay, then I'm, I'm looking at the right picture. It's then. pretty, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of gross looking. Um, but they ended up renaming him Gran Rojo, which means the Big Red in Spanish because... They've, this one person, uh, Kirsten Matsumoto, uh, just felt bad that that was the name that they chose. <laughs> you you want to know what it looks like? It looks like the the jellyfish from SpongeBob. Kinda, yeah, it did because they have like those tentacly things where it's not the like flowy thing you'd see like in. And when I always think jellyfish, I think like Finding Nemo, like that one scene where they're bouncing around. Yep. But he doesn't quite look like that. Yep. No, they don't. They, 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 yeah, they should have stuck with the original name, the Big Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's kind of gross looking. <laughs> um, then one of the next ones I looked at, which uh, this one's awesome, is the Japanese crab spider or spider crab. Have you, have you guys seen what this thing looks like before? Nightmare for you. About to. It's awesome. Ooh, that yep, thing's yep, horrifying. Yep. It's that if you ever seen it on probably memes or on pictures, because it shows up on Reddit like every once in a while. Um, just as one of those weird. <laughs> fi- it's basically yep. a giant crab. Like it looks more like a spider than anything else. Just kind of picture a hybrid between a spider and a crab, and then make it like what up to five feet. <laughs> like because like there's that one picture that oh, there's that yeah. one that I always remember. It's like some Japanese guy holding it, and it's bigger than he is. And they. <laughs> given the right environment and time they can grow almost infinitely just because you know they're crustaceans so they're constantly going to shed and then just keep growing so if mm-hmm. they're not like um, hunted or anything they get really big um, since they live pretty low in the ocean those are the ones that actually get a lot bigger but because of the hunting that's why they're not as big as probably they used to be because they're not able to grow as much I think they're they're I think it's illegal to hunt them now if I remember right because they were they were getting to the point of being endangered because, yeah, they were sought off by a bunch of crab fisheries and it was like a delicacy because, I mean, if you put yourself in like an 1800 perspective and all you, you don't really care about conservation at all, I mean, you'd definitely pay big money to eat one of those because they're crazy just oh, to say yeah, you could, 100%. you know? Oh, yeah, 100%. I bet they're del- 
I bet they're delicious. They, they probably are, but we, you can't really eat them anymore. Um, but they have a few of them on display. Like you can go see them um, at a couple of aquariums in, in Japan and you can actually go see these things move around. And they're apparently super friendly. Like they, they're scary as hell looking, but like they're, they're totally docile. <laughs> like they just kind of mind their own business and just kind of doing their uh, spider crab thing. But they're just, they're one of the freakiest ones that are down there. Just because, I mean, spiders to me are just pretty horrifying. And then you put it in the ocean where it just has like 360 <laughs> range. So it's like a flying spider at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's what nightmares are made of. That's not good. <laughs> but yeah, um, and the only other thing to say on him is when they are in the ocean, they basically like to hang out in vents. So like they'll hang out at those ocean vents and just kind of grab little things that kind of come out of there. And they like, um, they, they, that's where you're going to find them. Aren't they kind of like uh, the whales where they just they they eat very tiny amounts of food or like whatever they can kind of get their hands on? Yeah, that's why I like these things because like they're super chill. Like they don't they don't mess with anybody. They're just kind of sitting at the vents eating all day. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the best kind of animal, man. They they're not out to hurt anybody. <laughs> yes. They're just hanging out. That's eating. a good life, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> we could learn something from the Japanese spider crab. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Yes, we as humans need to be like the Japanese <laughs> spider yeah, crab. Exactly. <laughs> be a just chill place. and eat. And eat. Right? Just eat all day and hang out. It's great. <laughs> all right. So the, the final animal I looked at, and kind of saving the biggest and most known for last, is the colossal squid. Um, mostly because this is that one that everyone knows because it, it, they didn't think it used to be like exist. It kind of was one of those things that was born out of myth, and then they found a couple of them. And they realize, mm-hmm. holy crap, these things are real, and they're huge. Um, I think so. Just for a weight perspective, the one that they've confirmed and found was a little over a thousand pounds, and that was that actually made its way up. Now, they're only ever going to really find older ones, or sick ones, or dying ones. They're not going to find the apex ones almost ever coming up uh, to the surface. Because remember, there's no reason to come up there. It's going to mess with their oxygen levels. Um, the the warmer water is really going to mess with their whole metabolism. Like it's it, it's not a place they want to be. They want to be down in the colder depths. That's just where they're meant to be. Um, so the ones that actually do pop up, they're old, they're sick, they're not the big ones. Now, from what they found in uh, sperm whale stomachs, they're thinking they can get anywhere from thirteen to fifteen hundred pounds. Um, make then that makes it the largest known invertebrate that ever exists. Um, and they're thinking they're, they can get between 30 and about 33 feet. Now, I, I know that whales tend to be a bit bigger than that, but whales are, they're like the spider crab. They tend to be more of a relaxed type of creature versus these things. These things are just master hunters. It's almost like, I almost think of like a, a cat in the water, you know, like their whole purpose is just to like murder. Don't, do not compare the, the squid <laughs> to a cat. You're going to make me hate my cats. <laughs> I, I love cats. I have a cat, but they are monstrous killing machines, and everyone knows it, and we love them for that. There's nothing wrong with it, but I don't, it, it's mostly the eyes, because they, they have these giant eyes that they're meant to see in the dark, so they can see for just miles and miles away, and then they use this bioluminescent stuff to attract the prey, and that that's the kind of the scariest thing about them, is like they, they flash lights, and sometimes they think that actually squids can communicate with those lights between each other, but these are more solidary creatures. They don't really like to interact as much with other squid, um, but they basically just use these big lights, they flash them to attract prey, and the prey is just like a bunch of... Um, what is it, mosquitoes to those uh, mosquito trap things, right? 
where they just mm-hmm. like get drawn into it and then they just wrap their giant arms around them and then crush their head with that beak that Whoa. they have. Ugh. Yeah. Now, all right. <laughs> so I, I'm looking at there's okay. So there's the um, there's the jumbo squid, yep. robust club hook squid, colossal squid. Mm-hmm. And giant squid. Yes, they all look they all look pretty similar. They're just found in different um, regions, and the colossal squid is the biggest one. Okay, okay. Because like the giant yeah, squid is up to about twelve meters, the colossal squid's about fourteen, so it's got about an extra what, like six feet on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Now, how did you do you know how intelligent these creatures are? Because I know like octopus are pretty intelligent. Is does the same thing apply to like squid where they're pretty smart? They are, yeah, especially the ones up a little higher in the water. Because I think they have to like work a little bit more for it. Because remember, we're talking mm-hmm. about giant creatures that exist in almost this like suspended animation area of the world where there's just it's like being in a desert, you know, like they rarely come across anything else. So I think yeah. squids that live a little higher in the ocean where there's a lot more uh, prey to actually have, there's other predators that could kill them. I think those ones tend to maybe be a little bit more, they show their intelligence more because they have to interact with each other. There's just a lot more going on where the giant ones, they're just kind of drifting around eating whatever. And it's not a lot is going to eat them either. I mean, what what can eat something that big, right? So even if something, even if a shark got down there, it would take how many of them to take out this thing when it's like 33 feet that's just that doesn't seem really worth it so they don't really have a lot of predators there's no real reason to do much really um but on in general yeah squid are super intelligent that's one of those ones um like octopi where they're just they think they don't think it rivals humans but i mean it's one of those things where like if given different circumstances and conditions, it's amazing what their minds might be able to do. It, but they just don't have the yeah. resources because they're stuck underwater. Got it. Okay. Interesting. This is but, why yeah, I that's, have the last of phobia. <laughs> so, yeah. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, What's right. that, Leo? The last of phobia. It's the fear of deep bodies of water like the ocean or sea. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Oh, it's terrifying down there because, like, you were talking about how new species are discovered all the time, and the ocean is one of the prime places for that. Like, the the rainforest and the ocean are the two places you're just going to constantly find new species because we have, we have, like, more of our solar system map than we do our ocean. There, there's so much stuff down there. And once you get down to that super low depth, it's just so hard to measure or do much of anything. Um, and there's just not, like, a lot of money dumped into that, too. I remember that's a, that's a big issue because there are companies out there that do, like they're trying to scan the seafloor and but it, it just takes so long because you basically got to take these big pictures little by little by little by little just to see what's going on down there so i mean who knows what other kind of giant stuff is in the ocean and that's what i think is my favorite part of it is you know we've been talking a lot about like ancient creatures that existed that were these giant crazy things but i feel like on land it's harder to have a hidden giant creature like that. You know what I mean? We're not going to find some new form of element, an elephant that's twice the size as the other ones or some giant bird that's this great amount that's as big as a giraffe. Like, you're not going to really find that now. But in the ocean, that that possibility still exists, you know? True. No, that that's pretty, that's that's pretty, uh, that's a good way to look at it. That, like, like with the... scary. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's with, terrifying. Like, the rain, yeah, with the rainforest, the ocean... 
Um, I, yeah, I feel like the possibility of an animal, you know, becoming bigger than what it is, it more likely rather than, um, I don't know. Yeah. Like just like the normal woods in like Kentucky or something like that. You're not going to find like a, yeah, what you're saying, like a 20 foot tall, you know, elephant or whatever, like 40 foot tall elephant. It's just not going to happen where they, in the ocean, they have, I, I really like what, how you put that, like 360, suspended animation type thing where like gravity is not working against them necessarily they can but yeah that's yeah and what's interesting about it is like they they think part of the reason this happened or part of the reason there's so much that the things evolved the way they did is during one of the mass extinctions like 60 i think it was the 65 million year ago one they think a lot of these animals that like we're dwelling more toward the surface, it's there was no more resources up there because everything died, right? If you know, I think that was the one from the asteroid where the the air is a lot more toxic. There's just the oceans are gotten more polluted from just runoff into it. So they all dove deeper. And, you know, it's one of those natural selection things over time. It was just like, all right, the ones that were having bigger cells, those are the, you know, species that were going to be living, the ones that can take in more oxygen, you know, the ones that have certain uh, advantages in ambushing prey, things like that. And those are the species that then survived and then turned into these giant colossal things down there. They're, they're ancient is what's kind of cool about them, you know? Like, they're basically untouched by the world for, what, millions of years? That's, you don't see that now. No, you re- you really don't. And that, and it's just, like, it's fascinating, too, because you think about it, like what you were saying, 65 million years ago, there's that mass extension. But, like, think about how long it takes to evolve to be like, all right, mm-hmm. I'm going to chill at 10 feet of water, but hopefully my kids can go to 20 feet below the water and hopefully theirs can go 40. And then, like, think about, like, how that had to start where it was just, like, to where the point that they're just, like, they can't go any further down. They're, like, they're at the bottom right now. Right. And then all the species that, like, died out that couldn't make the cut. That, that's always the yeah, one I like right? thinking about because I, I know I've mentioned this before where like we have such a small sippet from like fossils of the creatures that yeah. actually did live here um, just because it's really hard to preserve a fossil to like have something actually exist that long ago is because we're all just, you know, carbon matter. It all dissolves basically eventually. So for something to actually be preserved that we can find out existed is super rare. So how many of those creatures that, you know, as they were getting pushed deeper and deeper, they just didn't make the genetic cut and that whole species died out? Probably millions of them and we'll never have any evidence that they ever existed. Yeah, yeah, that's. That, let's not talk about that. That's sad. That's sad. <laughs> it's not sad if they were scary. It's sad if they were cute. <laughs> yeah, well, we did talk about cute. We talked yes. about tigers. <laughs> we did talk about tigers. Chonky tigers. Uh, but that's, Chonky that's, tigers. That's that's the um, what I got here for the deep sea ones. All right. Well. What are what are final thoughts on 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 giants? Anyone have any last last little tidbits they want to add? You know, uh, I do have two special mentions though, if I may. So um, I, I was researching animals, and uh, this animal came up, which appeared not long after dinosaurs went extinct. It is the Titanoboa. It was a large snake that measured around fifty feet. And its weight was between uh, 2,300 to 2,500 pounds. And it had a diameter of about three feet at its thickest. 
Yep, that's okay that that one went extinct. <laughs> yep, that's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And um, the second one um, is my favorite. Um, it's called the Dinosuchus. And I love how Greeks uh, give the names to their animals. Dinosuchus is literal translation for terrible crocodile. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh. oh yeah. That, it's, yeah. That, so that one, uh, it it was up to three, uh, 33 feet long uh, or even up to 40 feet in length. And uh, it had large sharp teeth that was capable of taking out even big dinosaurs. <laughs> so Jeez. apparently it could kill a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that battle. Why is that not in the new yeah, Jurassic Somebody world? make a movie. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they've made it. Just, you know, look on sci-fi. They have, I'm what, sure like, the... octopus versus robot shark. <laughs> if, they have, if they can make like, a movie about Hogzilla. Croc- <laughs> yeah, Hogzilla, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I just oh. wanted to have a special mention because you know how much I love crocodiles. So currently, oh, yeah. currently it's <laughs> a saltwater crocodile is up to 21 feet. These were 40 feet in length, so. Yeah, no Yes. Well, if you enjoyed what you just listened to, please hit us up on all of our social media for the latest content where we have the most up-to-date information with what's going on on the show and what you can look forward to in the future episodes. And remember, we aren't looking for stuff that's normal. We want stuff that's effing weird. Don't you have a speaker in every room in your home? Does it seem like a huge investment or a daunting task to set up yourself? At Dio, we've finally made simple, affordable speakers that you can set up in every room in under a minute. No app or voice assistant needed. Just play from your iPhone to any speakers. It's that simple. Get our launch discount at dioconnect.com forward slash blind knowledge. Hi there, my name is Chris. I'm the host of the Cult Film Companion Podcast. We are the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. I'm a firm believer that a cult movie can come from any time period, any director, any movie studio, and covers a wide variety of genres, often within one single movie. It's all about the legacy that these movies have built up over time. So please tune into the Cult Film Companion Podcast. We are available now on every major podcast platform join our facebook page follow us on instagram cult film companion podcast all underscores in between those words follow us on twitter at cult film comp send us messages for movie recommendations too and remember to keep it cold but don't drink the kool-aid because it'll make you sick or kill you take care